0: learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare care-related fields to keep you a beat ahead.
1: What are we doing? It seems like no matter the evidence, The people in charge refuse to look at it despite the deaths, injuries, and destruction of property and jobs, and the diminished lifestyle of Americans. We're going to look at a lot of things that uh, have transpired over the last uh, year, and one of the things we're going to try and do every uh, podcast is to bring a... um, is to bring to you uh, revelations of what happened a year ago, what happened three years ago? what has been going on for the past four years? I think we missed an opportunity last month when we were talking when we should have uh, reminded people of what event 201 was where um, Johns Hopkins hosted a, a hastily called meeting of many important people, not just scientists but Averill Herrmann and other people in the governments of the world to uh, discuss the possibility of a forthcoming uh, coronavirus pandemic. That's right. In October, On October the 9th of 2019, they had this urgent hearing, and lo and behold, they were right on target. It turns out we did have a pandemic that they created, uh, and we're going to review some of those, uh, some of the things that we've discovered and their deceptions. And uh, it's just been awful, of course. The news from uh, the um, that we referred to the last couple of weeks regarding the contamination of these shots, uh, the Pfizer shots in particular, uh, being disregarded by those of the United States FDA, even though the FDA up in Canada reported it. And of course, as a reminder, they they delayed the release of that information uh, for six months or so. But uh, the evidence is overwhelming how dangerous these shots are, and we're going to look at a lot of things um, in regards to that. Uh, I think uh, starting out, we always want to remind people that uh, the wonderful website c19study.com is the best repository of information we've had the last three years regarding different agents there are over forty agents that, that website looks at to determine uh you know what's the evidence behind them and uh in encountering in, in countering and opposing these infections and the deaths uh, that they cause the injuries and deaths that they cause and Lo and behold, uh, Dr. McCullough this week, uh, in, on today actually, uh, or actually on Monday, the sixth, um, November the sixth, released a new data, new report showing the benefits of uh, of these uh, of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin, and uh, I want to review that briefly and then go go to the C19 study. Uh, So on uh, Monday, November the sixth, Peter McCullough's Substack uh, refers to an outcome after early treatment with HCQ, hydroxychloroquine, and azithromycin, an analysis of thirty thousand plus COVID patients, Um, and of course it delivered great news. Uh, We have a treatable, uh, we have a well-known treatment that's been shown many times before, and when we when I review the C19 website will go into further detail, but this new newest one uh, newest article. What patients care about is how they feel, function, and survive when it comes to COVID-19, whether randomized or not. If patients survived, if they were in the optimally treated group, that's what we're looking at. The only way to assess how a high-risk population fared in the pandemic is to report on a large sample of patients sick with COVID-19 with a large number of the outcome of interest. Uh, yeah, of course. And he is quoting the study uh, from Brokey et al, reported from a French database of 30,000 plus COVID patients, of whom 535 succumbed to the illness. It's a great detail. The investigators report mortality according to ambulatory treatment receiving uh, receiving those two drugs and hospitalization in the in the course of the following six weeks. And as you as the paper uh, shows, the most favored group was those who received the regimen early in the course of illness. Of the 30,200 patients for whom treatment information was available, 191 out of 23,000 patients, that is 0.82%, treated with the regimen died compared to 344 out of 7,000, which equals about a 5% uh, mortality rate, who did not receive those that did not. So it's a 0.8 versus a 5% uh, survival benefit if treated early. And so important points, uh, once again, this treatment consistently reduced the the risk of hospitalization and death. If hospitalized, those pre-treated with HCQ and azithromycin at home had a greater chance of survival. Critics say this was not a randomized trial. Patients say it does not matter. They just want to survive on the two medicines. What a phenomenally large difference that is. I think everyone would agree. Um, Even if they don't want to, the other side would uh, say that. So going back to C-19, I'm going to pull up the... uh, the page on there there for uh, HCq so it's here's the latest four hundred and thirteen studies from eight thousand six hundred and four scientists with five hundred and thirty thousand patients in fifty eight countries the evidence the overwhelming evidence is statistically significant lower risk for mortality hospitalization recovery cases and viral clearance. So uh, we're not required to uh, look at that, of course. They don't want us to look at things like that. But when you have this volume of uh, data showing the huge uh, benefit, these people can't... And by the way, the study uh, that uh, Dr. McCullough is speaking of is not included in this latest analysis. It will be added, I'm sure, soon. Uh, but uh, the last one that was done was done by uh, Sirocco, Sirocco et al. And it showed COVID-19 prognosis in systemic lupus erythematous compared with rheumatoid arthritis. And there was a 41% lower combined mortality and function using HCQ. Unbelievable. Uh, then you can go to other uh, things. Let's let's look at the um, ivermectin. Uh, let's say there it is on the C19 study. Ivermectin for shows 99 studies with 1,089 scientists, 137,000 patients in 28 countries. Uh, statistically significant lower risk for mortality, ventilation, ICU, hospitalization, recovery cases and viral clearance, 85%, 62%, 41% lower risk for prophylaxis early and late treatment, 55% lower risk in 46 randomized controlled trials, 49% lower mortality from 51 studies. That's that's the, the synopsis of all the studies that have been done on hydroxychloroquine. Uh, the last study was done by uh on october the 31st by Lindzel. let's go down and see if what the latest is with rumedesavier uh let's see here rumedesavier 61 studies by, for from 986 scientists 157000 patients in 21 countries statistically significant um Studies showed significantly increased risk of acute kidney disease, kidney injury, no increased risk, no increased viral clearance. There was an 8% hospitalization increased risk. It was not statistically significant. Uh, so not surprising, not, uh, not very beneficial. Let's see what a couple of other ones are. Lactoferrin, early treatment, 47% um, reduced risk. Uh, It just has a bunch of different, uh, uh, like I said, I think it's over 40 agents that are evaluated. But uh, I would strongly encourage anyone and everyone to, uh, when you're looking at science, we're looking for proof of things, look at the evidence. And that is a wonderful repository for doing that. So, let's look at where we were a year ago. What were some big things that came out a year ago, just a year ago? Uh, A study uh, showing, once again, very strong uh, proof uh, from Brutel, Washtern, and Van Dagen, uh, probably the most important research to date on the artificial origins of SARS-2, and the, what, they indicate, what they showed was that uh, synthetic origins, uh, there's clear endonuclease fingerprint showing synthetic origins of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, that should be no news to anybody these days, but it was a year ago, and I'm sure some people are still rejecting that. Uh, it was a year ago this week that uh, Dr. Jordan Vaughn was featured significantly in a Big article, a very long, good, uh, detailed article in the Epoch Times, and it was uh, signs you have a spike protein blood clot and what to do about it. In this two-part paper, we aim to give an overview of COVID-19-related abnormal blood clots, how they form, how to detect them early, and how they're being treated. Jordan did a great job in that, like he has in so much the last uh, three and a half years. Uh let's see what else was uh of news a, a year ago regarding covid expert cl- explains cancer may be metabolic disease and shares a cure and um it talked about how much research is allowed for there to be to uh, to, uh for us to better understand how metabolic disease impacts cancer risks and of course metabolic disease and uh And endocrine issues are a significant problem uh, from the COVID uh, shots in particular. Um, And consistent with that was an article they put out Epic Times put out endocrinologists forecast more hormone related diseases as spike proteins found to deplete endocrine reserves. When I was up in uh, Alaska a couple of last month at a COVID summit, we, uh, we had the question, are we seeing more diabetes, uh, type one diabetes? And, uh, the answer is unequivocally yes. And I, I was, I shared with them that a patient had come in, uh, earlier that week before I arrived and she was a 58 year old who had no history of diabetes. And she all of a sudden beginning of this year, her A1C was astronomical. She saw the endocrinologist. The endocrinologist she saw um, had told her the week before our visit that in uh, normally they would get uh, maybe one or two like this every quarter or so. But uh, it turns out that since the COVID shots have come out, they have had 40, um, 40 in the last few months. It's just uh, the wreckage. The physiological wreckage caused by these spike protein and the messenger RNA, the synthetic messenger RNA, and the uh, components of the COVID shots, including the lipid nanoparticles, uh, is overwhelming millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, I don't know if we referenced the article out of Canada six or eight weeks ago that showed a very conservative assessment said that there have been over 15 million people in the world killed from these shots. They've died directly from these shots. Uh, another analysis had shown earlier that month, that, uh, or maybe a month before, that there had actually been 43 million attributable to the shots around the world. Uh, these shots, uh, we've got to get rid of them. We've got to pull them from the market. They should have. Before 2020, that would have always been the instinct of, any regulatory agency in order to protect the citizens they're responsible for. But, uh, they don't, they don't want to do that. And so hopefully there are many, uh, ways that this can be, this nut can be tra- cracked. And I am hopeful that the attorney generals in the different States will start standing up since they are in fact, the, the top, uh, protector of their citizens when it comes to consumer protection. I'm very hopeful that they will start doing their job and bringing these people to account who have uh, done such uh, horrible, horrible, wicked, evil things. Oh yeah, another important thing that uh, just more and more evidence going back just one year and in the coming uh, shows we will go over Prior uh, years, you know, we're going to look at what happened a year ago, two years, three years, four years ago, um, and where we are now. It just seems like everything is falling on deaf ears. Well, thankfully, the uh, Biden versus Missouri uh, freedom of speech case, the Supreme Court has agreed to take it up, and hopefully in February of next year, they will rule uh, consistent with what. The protections we are guaranteed that the good Lord gave us, as the Constitution says, it's not the government but the good Lord gave us these protections, these rights, and hopefully the Supreme Court nine to zero will uh, find the our federal government operated illegally uh, in, in suppressing free speech of people like J. Bhattacharya and um, so many of us, so many hundreds of other scientists in the world that have been talking, uh, trying to talk about the uh, evidence, the scientific evidence that have been shut out, shut down, shut up, uh, deplatformed or whatever at the directive of our federal government and the White House. And the White House has known several of these uh, bad outcomes and have uh, kept it from the public. Uh, They just continue to lie. More and more and more. So with that, uh, on the other side of the break, we'll come back. But this is Dr. Stuart Tankersley, Dr. Jordan Vaughn, uh, America Out Loud Pulse on iHeartRadio. Thank you for joining us this week. The pandemic may be
2: over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natto Their spike support formula contains natto the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body.
3: In 2008, people could spend an average of 12 seconds on a task without becoming distracted. Five years later, it was only 8 seconds. The digital age is narrowing our attention span. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created focus and recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus, concentrate longer, and strengthen recall. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top, shoot it down. Thousands of five-star reviews proves it works. Supercharge your brain and see the difference. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order risk-free love it or your money back guaranteed
4: healthycell.com code out loud you wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands what about washing your nose i mean your nose does filter the air you breathe air loaded with bacteria viruses and irritants make nasal hygiene part of your routine with clear no messy bottles to fill no drowning sensation clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R dot
0: We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. AmericaOutloud.news, delivering a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world.
5: So welcome back to America Out Loud Pulse. Always one beat ahead here with Dr. Jordan Vaughn or Dr. Stuart Tankersley. One thing that I wanted to go through this evening um, was just in discussion on why there is so much uh, impact that COVID, or at least the spike protein itself, the spike protein again, um, being that you can get it from both the infection, as well as more importantly, you can actually administer the spike protein or the genetic material for your body to make the spike protein into yourself by visiting your local Walgreens uh, and actually getting one of these uh, community or spike vax vaccines. But that goes to show you that the problem is the spike itself. And we have known this for quite a while. In fact, I think that's one of the things that probably worries me the most is that our medical uh, establishment, uh, including people that were actively taking care of, people that were sick with COVID, knew that the very thing that was causing uh, this disease to be so deadly, causing clotting, causing respiratory a failure, mainly because of ventilators causing uh, increased thoracic pressure. But in general, our establishment knew that the spike protein was damaging uh, things and causing COVID to be a unique viral virus, viral infection. Uh, that's the very thing that they chose. Uh, and I think partly they chose because they already had it on the shelf, but that's the thing they chose to elicit an immune response and not just elicit immune response, but have your body produce this very thing. But what's important to understand is why that very thing is so important and why it affects so many systems. So again, the spike protein uh, is that, you know, ugly looking kind of appendage off the virus itself. And it is likely the thing that was manipulated. Um, at least at this point appears in a lab to make it more likely to infect humans. And it attached to a specific thing called an ACE2 receptor. So angiotensin converting enzyme. Two, uh, you probably have heard angiotensin or ARB or ACE inhibitors, uh, The reason that those things are used in the blood pressure realm uh, is because those are very important things in regards to regulating uh, your vasculature. And so um, angiotensin 2 or ACE2 uh, angiotensin converting enzyme receptors, ACE2 receptors are everywhere. And in fact, uh, they are again a significant amount of them are on your lung tissue but uh just as important is that the endothelial well this astute 2 receptor is basically um expressed on the pneumocytes which is the uh the the actual pulmonary uh cells but it's also pretty much everywhere else so again it's in your vasculature it's heart it is uh brain it is um Uh, pretty much all over your entire body. And what that leads to is something we call uh, endothelial damage. So um, the ACE2 receptor is widely expressed on endothelial cells. And I guess that's what I wanted to walk through was what is an endothelial cell? So we use that word a lot when we talk about endothelial damage. A lot of people probably understand that that means, uh, you know, is associated with blood vessels, but what specifically is the endothelium but the endothelium is kind of a thin layer of flat almost like kind of lying um like you're kind of put tiling the inside of a vessel and these things line the heart uh serous cavities serous cavities being things like um uh your joint spaces a lot of other places like that uh in between uh parts of your lung lymph vessels and blood vessels and uh basically what they are there to do is form a barrier between the vessels and the tissues. And it's an important barrier. So it's not just, Hey, uh, we've got this little lining here. No, it is a very active lining. So this endothelium itself is responsible for secreting all kinds of good and bad things. And it's also responsible to responding or inflaming areas. Not only that, the endothelium itself comes a l- in a little bit different form. So different endothelium are either tight, perfectly tight, don't allow much to go through there, or they're kind of fenestrated or they're allowed, they are allowed—they allow things to get through. And, and those are usually areas of the body is where a lot more what I would call cleaning or uh, exchange takes place. So damaging this part of your body, and I would say body when we talk about the endothelium, you're talking about something that basically covers the inside of every vessel, artery, you know, from both sides, artery or vein. Uh, and if you uh cause damage to it, which is what we would call endotheliitis, which endotheliitis, you'll hear me or Dr. Takersley talk about some, but endotheliitis is an immune response within that endothelium in the blood vessel, in which the actual endothelium becomes inflamed. And This can cause swelling of the surrounding tissue and cause irritation and pain, but more importantly, it also allows other things to actually kind of seep into areas that shouldn't. Imagine again, like um, the endothelium is like this almost Gore-Tex lining (laughs) on your shoe. It allows moisture and hot air out, but it doesn't allow water in. And so when we think about things that are Gore-Tex, we think of things that are breathable, but waterproof. So it still allows things that it wants through, but it doesn't allow things that it doesn't want through. So when you damage that lining, just like if you were to take a, take a brush or steel brush and go over your Gore-Tex coat, probably wouldn't work that well anymore. And because of that, you're going to have, you know, those, those issues. The endotheliitis as well as direct viral effects on the vasculature, you know, that really is what causes derangement at every organ system. So um, when we think about why people coming to us with so many different um, maladies, different organ systems uh, that are affected, what we're dealing with is something that has allowed those organ systems not only to have dysfunction in their ability to get oxygenation and substrate delivery, but also allowing things to get there in ways that um, are inappropriate or wrong. So, basically, when you have the inside of this vessel, the inside of the vessel, the endothelium damage, uh, that basically results in ongoing damage or additional damage to the tissues that are there, and so. We're talking about things like the integrity of the vessel to keep things out, the ability of a good things to get in, uh, all of those things, as well as uh, swelling at the vasculature level, meaning, uh, you know, tissue stasis, blood pressure, a lot of things. And on top of that, when we talk about my kind of research area, it's uh, related to micro clotting. And what that has to do with is that we know that the uh, spike protein itself not only damages the endothelium, the lining, but that in the blood itself, the active participants in the blood, which include things like platelets uh, um, and other coagulation or what we call things like fibrinogen or von Willebrand's factor, it causes those things to come out of the blood to precipitate, fancy word for saying like coming from uh, one form into another um, and forming uh, abnormal accumulations or aggregates of things like fibrin, fibrin aggregates, microclots. Uh, These are things that are not supposed to form, but not only that, they form in the may view that is in this small vessel that's irritated. So the small vasculature is where a lot of this damage Um, is taking place. And so not only are you having the formation of abnormal fibrin, but it's in the surrounding area of an inflamed um, endothelium. And so we, a lot of times when we talk about where, you know, clotting or where clotting factors or where the clotting issues happen, a lot of them seem to happen in the, um, in the, uh, in the actual small vessels themselves, and we use a fancy word for this called microthrombosis in situ, meaning a small accumulation of thrombotic, um, thrombotic processes found right where it is in the microvasculature, microthrombosis in situ. So again, you add all that up, you're not only going to have an inflamed small vasculature, you're going to have a sludged or you know, stymied small vasculature, but you're also not going to have good oxygen delivery. You're not going to have good substrate delivery, which means that these areas that are damaged, um, and the endothelium that is damaged, isn't going to be able to really repair itself very well either. And that has been shown in not too long after that, they started looking at SARS-CoV-2 endotheliitis, and what they found was uh, impaired endothelial. Dysfunction can be documented in convalescent COVID 19 patients for up to a year after infection, especially when residual clinical manifestations persist. That was a, that was a study that um, came out not too, you know, again, not too long ago. This was actually published in November of 2022. And so, and this was in the Annals of Medicine. So that really shows you that this isn't just something to be thought of as not a big issue. But instead, not only does it happen, but when it happens, it's usually happening in the tissues that have ongoing dysfunction. And so that's what we see. And that's why listening to a patient and finding out exactly where a lot of their issues are uh helps us kind of understand, first of all, what kind of areas to address, but it also kind of raises the... uh the uh, idea or understanding that there's other ways to help tissues other than what we usually think only helps that tissue. Meaning, uh, a lot of times when we think about different areas of the body, we think, okay, well, this will help that, this will help that. But we also have to understand that the bodies and the systems themselves all have small vasculatures. Most of them have big and small, but they all have small vasculatures and they all have endothelial damage. And if they all have endothelial damage, they all have small vasculatures with this endothelial damage. And inside those vasculatures, they have things like fibrin aggregates. The way to get the tissue working again, whether it's bone marrow making red blood cells, whether it's lymph tissue making good uh, you know, T-cell, B-cell responses, whether it's heart uh, pumping good and propagating electrical activity properly, Uh, whether it's intestinal movement, all those things to happen correctly require good oxygen and substrate delivery, as well as vasculature that's healthy. And if it's not healthy, has the ability to repair. And again, that's why at the root of all this seems to be that the spike protein and COVID itself, targeting this thing that is so ubiquitous and is so important in each ox- each um, different system makes it uh, so potentially damaging and potentially damaging meaning it really can, it really knows no limits in what it can damage. Um, again, most systems don't work well if, if they're not supplied with good oxygen, they're not have what we call venous blood removed from them. So good blood to and good venous blood, I mean, bad venous blood away. And then also has good, healthy endothelium that allows the stuff that's supposed to get to the tissue through, and then allows the stuff that's not to not get through. And so when we start seeing that that is where dysfunction happens, and that uh, is causing dysfunction in each organ system, a lot of times you have to step back and say, Well, it just doesn't make exact sense why it's happening. It doesn't fit any of these previous disease models. But from a perfusion standpoint, the reason that it's not working could be that it's not getting good blood flow. It's not getting good venous return. And then on top of that, the actual small vessels where the blood's being delivered and removed is not operating correctly. Things are getting through that shouldn't get through. Uh, there is inflammatory things like microclots or fibrin aggregates within those things. All of the above is is really on the table when we talk about that, and that's why I think it's important to start thinking through a why and actually explaining it why. The other thing is um, that the endothelial understanding also explains why there's such impact at the pulmonary level, the cardiac level, and then. The brain level. So again, all those areas are highly vascular. They're highly oxygen dependent and they're highly, uh, highly important in just kind of your day-to-day activity. And on top of that, those are areas that when blood and blood vessels are not working properly, you're going to fill it. So again, I think that's why I wanted to kind of walk people through what is the endothelium and why is it important? It's not just a classic little lining. Uh, It is a lining that is alive and functions as something that allows things in that should be allowed in, doesn't allow things in that shouldn't be allowed in. And it being inflamed leads to multiple organ dysfunction. And multiple organ dysfunction leads to the many symptoms that go along with vaccine injury or long COVID. So, with that, we will be back. Again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn on America Out Loud Pulse, always one beat ahead.
6: How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix Rx. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout.
4: This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells, and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get your exclusive fifteen percent discount by using the code Outloud. Lean, pure,
3: with premium ingredients, Global Healings Pure Plant Protein offers twenty grams of protein per scoop. And it's the perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself. It combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption, improving digestion and your gut health. Available in vanilla and chocolate flavors, elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD, global Healing. Giving you the power to take control of your health naturally.
0: AmericaOutLoud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk League It's a fight for the soul of humanity
5: Welcome back For closing today, what we're going to do is have a presentation from Dr. Kevin McKernan He's a person I actually do know And have been helping in some aspects, not related to genetics, but just in some of his people that have reached out to him for help uh, for their kind of vaccine injury or long COVID. But what he's going to present is what he found uh, when he was looking at um, these vials and what has really set off uh, what both Dr. Tinkersley and I uh, really demands that the uh, state attorney general's, if not the FDA needs to uh, intervene on a consumer protection um, authority and uh, really really get rid of these these uh, these injections off the market until uh, their quality controlled at least, which is a big part of this uh, is is
7: improved so. Uh, starting with that here's dr kevin mckernan so hopefully this behaves so hopefully this behaves uh this uh will remind you which not in that what, what is not in that preprint is something that uh retzif levy and, and josh which is not the bmj which is that, that, that w- the the vials that were in fact approved are not the vials that were given to the public uh the clinical trial was run on something known this process one that used pcr to make the dna that was going to then turn into the rna for, to make the spike protein. Uh, once the trial was complete, they switched. This is a big bait and switch. They moved to a a production process that manufactured this DNA in E. coli. Uh, And with that, Comes a different risk. There's clean DNA on the left, which is process one. There's no background E. coli. There's no endotoxin present in this in this process. When they switch to scale this up, they put this plasmid uh, into E. coli to grow it and replicate it. And now you have to get the DNA out of E. coli and not have any of the parts of E. coli come with it. And unfortunately, there are parts of E. coli that can create anaphylaxis, something known as endotoxin. And there are these plasmids that have additional DNA that were not present in the in the actual clinical trial. So we started sequencing um, lots that were A mixture some that were in fact not expired but had been tapped into by by clinicians and other ones that were unopened but were expired these are the monovalent vaccines for Pfizer the prior ones were the bivalent vaccines for Moderna and Pfizer uh, upon sequencing these, I think the most striking revelation was that the Pfizer vaccines actually had a component that was not disclosed to the regulators. This, this plasmid map on the right is what was disclosed to the EMA, and there is no mention of the SV40 components that are, in, that are now known to be inside this DNA sequence. The plasmid on the left is what we actually found, very similar in length, but has all of these other components in it that are not disclosed to the regulators nor to the patients taking these. Why do we care about SV40? Well, SV40 is a known tool. This particular enhancer, the 72 base pair enhancer that David Dean's lab has, has studied so well, it binds transcription factors that drags any DNA attached to it into the nucleus. So it's, it's actually a well-published tool for gene therapy. If you want to get DNA into the nucleus, this is the, this is the shuttle that you use to get it done. Uh, if you have lipid nanoparticles that are encapsulating this material, you now have a Trojan horse to get into the cells as well. Uh, so what did we do? Uh, once we found the sequencing, we knew peer review was going to be quite challenging and it would take a long time. So the best thing you can do in those circumstances are publish methods that allow other people to reproduce the work faster than peer review can occur. And I think you'll see that's exactly what's happened. So we, we designed three different assays, uh, one that targets the vector, this, this bacterial origin of replication inside of the plasmid and the other one that targets the spike protein. We have a third assay now that we're working on as well to track the presence of this SV40 promoter in particular biopsies of interest. Um, the sequencing, I'm sorry, the, the quantitative PCR of this will give you numbers that don't add up to 35%. It's much lower than that with PCR, and I'm gonna explain why. PCR does not capture every piece of DNA that's in the vials. But if you take a, a one to 100 dilution of these things, you'll get CTs in the 22 range. That puts them in there on the 17 range if you, don't, if you, if you shoot them straight in. Uh, For context, when you're getting a COVID test, you, you could be called positive at a CT of 35. This is a log two scale. That's about a million times less material than what we're injecting into people with the actual vaccine. So COVID might call you positive, a COVID test might call you positive at 35, We're injecting stuff that's closer to 17, a million times more concentrated than what you'll see uh, that you can be called positive from the actual nasal test. So it's, there's a lot in there. Some critiques of the work have centered around that these vaccines are expired. Well, they've injected ex- expired vaccines into people, that's not a very good argument, but you can also measure how... It, how degraded these things are by running these RNA integrity assays that Pfizer uses. We've done that and we don't see excessive degradation in the vials that have the sequence to date. And you're going to see other people who have, who have touched on these vaccines and sequenced them that are not expired and have better chain of custody than what we had received. Now several other people have replicated this. It started with a group in Japan who took our sequence data and reassembled it and actually found the same vector that we found. Some other folks were playing around with PCR, finding low levels of DNA, but they found DNA indeed. Uh, in Japan. Uh, I've heard a rumor through Twitter that uh, some folks in France and Didier Riot's lab uh, found DNA as well. I've not seen the methods yet, but we're open to further discussion on that. Uh, William Engel has also sequenced his own vials in, in Europe and found the Pfizer sequence as well. But this shouldn't surprise anybody because the EMA made note of the, the high variance of DNA contamination in the Pfizer vials that were presented to them an 815-fold variance in just the 10 vials that they, were, that they were given. The EMA didn't measure this. This is data that Pfizer gave to the EMA. Since then, uh, more quantitative reproduction has been done with Philip Buchholz's work. He has actually replicated this with rt assays. He's also sequenced this with Oxford Nanopore and has found the, the fragment size distribution Uh, Dr. Sin Lee has done replication of this on Sanger sequencing. Uh, Now, this was not quantitative replication, but it did give us nice Sanger gold standard confirmation that the primers we're using, in fact, target this vector. Uh, And I think you're going to hear later today, Brigitte Koning has also replicated this in Germany. Uh, The reason I emphasize this is that half of the papers that come through peer review can't be reproduced. So the attention should be on reproduction, not on peer review. Uh, And I want to touch on today that some new data that just came from David Speecher's lab uh, he studied 24 vials. This is the largest study done to date. Uh, you can contact him at uh, these uh, contacts I have down here on the left. He has a substack and a Twitter handle. Um, he went through 24 different vials, eight from Pfizer, uh, 12, from, um, 12 from Moderna, and uh, he's also finding DNA contamination in every one of these vials. Uh, the Moderna vials are below the 10 nanogram FDA limit, which we're going to touch on why that number is uh, is a bit arbitrary based on how you measure it. But the Pfizer vials, three of them were all over the limit, and if you chart these with the adverse events, Jessica Rose will be touching on this perhaps a bit later, the adverse events seem to stack with the, the vials that have higher DNA concentrations. Uh, if you put this through a dose response curve, uh, David Wiseman put this together, uh, you can see that there does seem to be a response. But the Pfizer vials, three of them were all over the limit, and if you chart these with the adverse events, Jessica Rose will be touching on this perhaps a bit later, the adverse events seem to stack with the vials that have higher DNA concentrations. Uh, If you put this through a dose response curve, uh, David Wiseman put this together, uh, you can see that there does seem to be a response uh, with the small number of samples that we have based on dose. Now, there can be other confounders in this data. Uh, what we cannot control for is what we would call process three. There was another change in the manufacturing process where they changed Tris and uh, PBS. So initially, initial lots were in PBS. They moved them over to Tris for Pfizer. Moderna was always in Tris. Uh, and this may have its own impact that we have not yet considered in this, and that could be confounding some of the signals that we're seeing on this dose response curve. Okay, um, I want to touch on the variance you're going to see measuring this is very dependent on what technology you use. You'll see some some large some numbers that vary out there in the news, and that's because if you use different tools, you'll get different numbers. And this is a this is a vulnerability in the regulations right now because you can cherry pick different tools to give the regulators whatever you want. All right. So if you put this tool through Oxford Nanopore, which sequences all of the molecules as single molecules, it does a great job finding the large fragments. In fact, we found a fragment in, in just a short 866 read a small sequencing run that was 3.5 KB long and encompassed the entire backbone of the plasmid. Uh, We found another one that was 2.5 KB. Um, But the important thing to know about this is that it doesn't do a very good job capturing the very small molecules. And you can see from this molecule distribution map here, a lot of the mass is actually small. They are trying to get rid of this, but the process of getting rid of this is creating something that's a little bit more dangerous for DNA integration. Um, this is the pr- a process that they use to get to purify the DNA before it goes onto Oxford Nanopore. It's called Ampure. I'm familiar with this. I have spent a lot of time commercializing this this tool. It doesn't do a good job capturing the small molecules. They're using this area in red to purify the DNA before it goes onto the Oxford Nanopore system. So it removes the really small material. So we're undercounting the small material with we use, when we use Oxford Nanopore. We're also undercounting it with qPCR. Anything that's smaller than hundred bases will not amplify with qPCR and we'll miss it. But if you put this dna in a fluorometer that stains any length dna you get numbers that are 10 to 100 fold higher Um, uv spec will do the same thing so this is important because the regulators were given fluorometry data for the rna and qpcr data for the dna in order to cook the books to fit the regs Uh, but this can be something that we all need to be attentive to uh, making regulations going forward what are the risks of dna well there's some papers out there suggesting it's prothrombotic it can create a, a interferon response Um, Keith Pettin has published at the FDA some of the risks of genome integration that can occur, and it's important to dissect his paper because his paper touches on the nanograms of DNA, but we really should be talking about copy numbers of DNA because all all you need, you know, in 10 nanograms of DNA, you can get 1,000 copies of the human genome, but 10 nanograms of 200 bases of DNA, there's 50 billion copies of DNA. So molarity is more important because it's the it's the concentration of the sticky ends of DNA, the active five prime hydroxyls and phosphates that govern integration risks, right? A great paper down here will touch on this and show you how much of this stuff actually integrates. We also know the DNA is packaged. We've done some, some studies adding a nucleus to the vaccine. It does not change the CT scores. That tells you that the DNA is packaged inside the LNPs, which means it's transfection ready. Uh, now, there's a problem with this, is that uh, when there's plasma DNA around, that means there's, lipid, there's, there's endotoxin around from a coli. And the lipid nanoparticles we know from the paper on the right basically obscure your ability to measure these things with, with LAL assays. And we also know that the spike protein, when expressed, exacerbates the effect of endotoxin. So the combination of a poor readout and and a protein that's expressed that exacerbates the impact of endotoxin means we need to pay very close attention to the endotoxin numbers, which happen to be redacted in most of the information that's given. I don't have much more time. I think everyone's familiar that we can find this stuff everywhere in the body now. The biodistribution studies touch on this, and now papers are coming out showing this in the heart. Uh, so uh, to touch on your point about cancer, for the last few slides here, we are always cancering. It's just when mutagenesis outpaces the immune system that you begin to notice it. So there's you usually need more than one thing to cause cancer. So increasing the DNA alone may not do it. Uh, it may increase the mutagenesis rate, but uh, unless you, you, if you also have a chronic insult to innate immune system, like we know from these vaccines with lymphocytopenia and neutropenia, some of the effects of IgG4, some of the effects of the of the N1 uh this combination. Uh, can be a real potent combination. The third point we have is that there's some paper suggesting we're inhibiting the guardians of the genome, P53 and BRCA1. So all three of these things create a perfect storm that may be responsible for the the cancer rise that we're seeing. I'd point everyone to John Bodwin's work looking at the death records in Massachusetts. That is a clear-cut sign that we have an increase in cancer post-vaccination.
5: So again, all of that is a little bit nerdy, but what it basically boils down to is um, the fact that, in many ways, we were most definitively lied to about exactly what these products were. We also had a bait and switch in the midst of it, which was the actual manufacturing process of it changed. Additionally, the sequence to actually um, possibly cause genomic integration was included in uh, in these vials, uh, in the plasma DNA, uh, but it was not uh, admitted to or reported. And so what we really have is a um, quite crazy uh, development. And I think that is, um, again, we trusted, we're supposed to be able to trust our regulators to keep us safe. And in many ways, at least the law, the Consumer Protection um, Mechanisms that exist uh, from our state attorney general and those kind of people. But right now, um, we have a product that is being promoted by state agencies instead of being scrutinized and um, vetted for what the industry was producing. So, with that, I think that is basically a call to get our state officials to investigate and see what is actually going on um, with this. Because I think the fact that uh, Kevin continued to harp on the fact that he has found this and it's been reproduced multiple times is quite concerning and leads to that. This isn't just a one-off, that this is something that is affecting um, uh, every part of this manufacturing process and what we are Uh, allowing or telling people to put in their bodies. So with that, uh, thank you for joining us today on America Out Loud Pulse, always one beat ahead. This is Dr. Jordan Vaughn.